Good morning, everyone. Um, Today's reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 16, and you can find it on page 1014 in the Church Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Thanks so much, Morag. Well, please do keep your Bibles open at Mark uh, chapter 10. Um, It's great to be with you this morning as we uh, continue this journey through uh, Mark's gospel. And uh, we're going to look together at this uh, passage this morning, Mark chapter 10, 1 to 16. Now, what we're not going to do is uh, give the final words on divorce. Uh, Divorce is a challenging subject, biblically and pastorally. And in 20 minutes or so, we can't really do justice uh, to Jesus' words here. We don't have time to fully consider um, the background from Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, to delve into the Jewish scribal debates of the time, uh, to contrast the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19, um, or even to consider um, some of Paul's teaching in the epistles. Uh, Nevertheless, as we come to this passage, uh, let's pray that God might speak to us through his word. So let's pray now. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray that we might come alive to your word and that we might be changed by it. So please speak to us, each one individually in our own situations. May we hear your voice and follow the Lord Jesus more closely as a result. For his name and glory we pray. Amen. One of the things we've sadly seen on our TV screens in the last couple of weeks has been obviously the war in Ukraine and uh, seeing uh, war reporters. It's fantastic bravery that they go, that they show us the pictures, that they tell us uh, what's really going on. 
But it's quite sobering, isn't it, to see those, uh, the folk that you normally expect to see in a suit behind a desk, uh, giving the news in a studio, are there on the streets. Uh, They're there in their body armor. They're there uh, with their helmets on. Uh, They're going under fire into the danger zone uh, to help us see what is really going on. Now, as Mark begins uh, this chapter, he highlights for us that Jesus is going into a spiritual war zone. Uh, Look at verse 1 with me. Uh, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Uh, Jesus is entering hostile territory. Uh, When we read that he's crossed the Jordan, it likely means he's entered Herod's country. Now, we met Herod back in Mark chapter 6. I think you began your series in Mark chapter 7. But back in chapter 6, we meet Herod. Uh, He's the king who beheads John the Baptist. And he was imprisoned initially by Herod uh, because of his views on relationships. Uh, John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, we won't go into all the details of that, but uh, there, were, uh, there was a family situation there, and John had spoken into it, and Herod uh, did not like it. And so John eventually was beheaded. Now, Jesus is uh, teaching the crowds. Uh, when some Pharisees, those uh, super religious folk who loved poring over the details of the law, they come and ask him a question about divorce. Is there in verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, this question really is a a thorny issue, uh, not just for us, but for Jesus too. He has the backdrop of Herod not being keen on firm pronouncements on the issue, to put it mildly. Uh, But also, Jesus is being thrust into a topical debate. Among the Jewish scholars of Jesus' day, there was a debate about divorce. Uh, And the main laws surrounding divorce could be found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, But what did they mean? How should they be applied? And there were at least two competing schools of thought. Uh, One's called Shammai, uh, and one is called Hillel. And uh, the former, uh, Shammai, gave a conservative interpretation. Uh, They said divorce was possible but only on the basis of unfaithfulness. Uh, whereas the latter, uh, the latter view, Hillel view, and uh, majority view, gave a more, um, more permissive interpretation. That divorce was possible for pretty much any reason. And that's why there's a, there's a little detailed difference in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. The question gets phrased slightly differently. There it's recorded as, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And that is kind of code for the debate that's going on here. Uh, This Hillel group that said, yeah, of course, any and every reason is fine. Jesus is being asked to pick a side. How does he respond? Uh, What does he mean? Whose side will he pick? And how will we respond? How should we respond and decide on tricky issues that we come across? Well, first, uh, we need to go to first principles. Um, You probably heard one of those jokes 
um, where someone is asking for directions, and the response comes something like, uh, well, if you wanted to go there, I wouldn't have started here. Not very helpful. Uh, But in Jesus' case here, it is helpful. Now, to these uh, religious lawyers, uh, Jesus points them back to the start. He says, go back to first principles. What did Moses command you? And they not unreasonably go back to uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 4. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Okay, uh, a reasonable place to go back to the Old Testament law. That's, that is something that Moses said. But Jesus says that well, there's, there's two problems with this. Uh, first, you're asking the wrong question. Uh, you want to know if it's lawful. Uh, does it fit in with the law? Can I get away with it? Is this a reasonable loophole? You know, better questions to ask would be, well, is this good? What does God actually think? And Jesus is clear to them. He says that this isn't a good law. It's not one that truly expresses God's will. Uh, Look at verse 5. He says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. You see, this law on divorce was a concession It's likely that um, the problem of abandonment of women was so prevalent that this law was brought in to to offer some kind of order, to offer some kind of protection for women. But it certainly didn't express God's true heart, his, his desire for how his people should live. See, Jesus says, you're starting in the wrong place. He asked them... What did Moses think? What did he teach you? And they go to Deuteronomy. But what about what Moses commanded you in the book of Genesis? You see, when, it, uh, when the Bible talks about the, the book of Moses, it's, it's talking about those first five books of the Bible. Uh, not just Deuteronomy, not just the law there, but those first five books. And Jesus says, you've got to go back even further. You've got to go back to really proper, true first principles. And so Jesus takes them to Genesis chapter 2. He quotes from it there in verses uh, 6 to 9. Let me read that for us. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking if divorce is lawful. But he says, if you knew, if you truly knew what marriage really was, if you understood how God viewed marriage, you wouldn't even be considering it. So he takes them back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. He says, this is where you need to start. So what is marriage? What is the heart of God's law on this subject? Well, briefly, we see five things from those verses he quotes. Firstly, he says this is something that God has made. 
that this is part of creation, that this is God's plan, it's God's design. Here is something that God has made. Secondly, he says uh, uh, God has made them uh, male and female. That's God's heart for marriage. Uh, Two people, uh, two different people, uh, but joined together to complement and support one another. God made uh, male and female. We see a new family is created. There's this funny bit there, isn't there, about a man leaving his father and mother to be united with his wife. The picture is the man being taken out of one family and a new family being created with his wife. A new family unit, a new creation. Just as God uh, creates uh, marriage as, as a concept, an idea, he creates new families. They're described there as uh, one flesh. And the two will become one flesh. That's how united they are. That's how, uh, how sealed and joined together they are. That They are described as one. One flesh. That's how closely intertwined they are. And then he ends with that verse, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. A marriage is inseparable. You can't separate one flesh. That's God's heart for marriage. That's how he designs it. That's how he conceives it. These two can't be separated. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When I, I conduct a, a wedding service, that's what we say. Just, just at the end of the marriage bit, we, we invite the couple to, to join hands and I, I place my hands on their hands and repeat those words. What God has joined together, let no one separate. It's both a promise to say, here's what God has done. God has created something that's inseparable. But also a warning. Don't think about separating what God has put together. You see, Jesus' vision for marriage was as radical in his own day as it is in ours. You know, when we rightly declare marriage to be a good gift from God, we shouldn't be ashamed to name that which weakens it. God has created something. He's made something. He's, he's made it good. He's, he's joined something together. And so we shouldn't be ashamed, however unpopular it is, to say that divorce is wrong. <coughs> to say that uh, living separate lives is wrong. To say that same-sex relationships are wrong. To say that uh, strictly civil marriage, marriage that has no uh, interest in God, is wrong. To say even that uh, interfering in-laws, not that I have any. uh, (laughs) Interfering in-laws are wrong because God has created a new family. I've seen this firsthand, the tragedy of interfering families that can wreck a marriage. All these things undermine Jesus' vision for marriage. 
Jesus wants to get us back to first principles. Let's look at how God has established marriage. And that's going to shape our thinking. Now, in in Mark's gospel here, Jesus is blunt. There are no exceptions. If you go to Matthew's account of the same instance, there seem to be an exception. There's no, what about when this happens? As other scriptures suggest, there are are genuine exceptional circumstances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about the issue of uh, when a spouse has been abandoned. But Mark uh, here doesn't give any qualifications to Jesus' words. Uh, They're blunt. There's also no pastoral care offered here. But Jesus isn't talking to an abandoned wife. He's not talking to a betrayed husband. He's not talking uh, to the victim of abuse. No, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious lawyers, the nitpickers. And to them, he's going to be particularly blunt. And even in his bluntness, he, he actually subtly undermines some of their thinking. You see, in Jewish law, as it stood then, um, only a man could divorce his wife, not the other way around. But even just in his, his, his blunt response, Jesus actually uh, gives some hint of um, reversing this, some kind of justice. So verse 12, he says, And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she uh, commits adultery. You see that uh, Jesus is not condoning the practice, not at all. But he is portraying uh, the woman as having greater protection and equality under their law. I don't have time to go into the details there, but even just in that phrase, it seems Jesus is undermining even some of their own wrong interpretations of the law. But be in no doubt... Jesus here in Mark's gospel is unequivocal. And he repeats the message there in verses 11 to 12 to his disciples. Divorce is wrong because it exposes the hardness, the sin of our hearts. And remarriage, in effect, makes those involved adulterers. Now, is it an unforgivable sin? Of course not. Can restoration be possible? Yes. Might divorce in exceptional circumstances be the lesser of two evils? Undoubtedly. So perhaps a better place to start is is not whether divorce is right or wrong, but rather how are we promoting marriage? How are we strengthening it? What will you do today, if you're married, to love your spouse and strengthen your marriage? How are we counselling and comforting those who have been divorced? How are we going about seeking justice and protection for victims of relationship abuse? Jesus says, but stop arguing about the law and do good. Do what's right, not what you can get away with. 
but do that which honours God. When relationships sadly do break down, uh, one of the questions that's often asked is, what, what about the kids? Who's going to think about the kids? What, what about them? They're so often the victims in relationship breakdown. And it's striking that Jesus talks a lot about children, both in this passage and the previous passage. So at the end of chapter 9, Jesus is talking about little children as well. Just flip back and see, he's talking about little children. And so this, this teaching, this response to the Pharisees and this, this teaching about divorce is bookend, bookended by teaching about children. So verse 942, uh, chapter 9, verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck. In chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, divorce may be the topic of discussion here. Uh, But back in Mark chapter 7, it was laws about food and drink. In a sense, the, the topic of discussion doesn't matter. But on both occasions, Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy and hard heartedness of the Pharisees. And I think Mark wants us to see the contrast. The Pharisees come to Jesus with questions, trying to trap Jesus, trying to win a legal argument, trying to find loopholes to justify their actions. But the children come humbly, ready to receive from Jesus. So often, we're more like the Pharisees, coming to Jesus, seeking to justify our actions. But rather we should come like the children, ready to listen, eager to learn, willing to follow. Perhaps there's something for you right now. Uh, perhaps it's not divorce. But it's something that's stopping you from really uh, listening to and following Jesus. Something where you feel like you need to justify yourself. You know something deep down is wrong. And we push Jesus away and say, I don't want to listen. He says, be like the children. Stop. Put down your legal arguments. Come and listen. Come and change. Come and follow him. Be like the children. But have you ever wondered why Jesus always seems to have the right answer in these discussions? So often people come and trick him and uh, try and trap him. And he always seems to get the right answer. You ever watch the uh, the chase? You watch some daytime TV. You watch the chase, uh, that quiz show. Really annoys me how smug the chasers are. You know, that? not only do they always get the right answer, but they're always smug with it, and they'll give you the extra information that no one asked for. You know, this is the answer, and uh, I can tell you what all the others to the similar question, answers to the similar questions might be. And Jesus is he's kind of like a chaser in as much as he's always got the right answer. But he's never smug with it. Why is that? Why does he always just seem to have the right words to say? Well, a bit earlier on, Ben read from Psalm 1. 
And I think it explains why, even on a really tricky topics like divorce, Jesus just gets it. He knows what to say. He knows what the answer is. Because Jesus is that blessed man from Psalm 1. He's the one who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked. He's the one who doesn't sit with the religious lawyers. But rather he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on God's word. Uh, like a tree, his, his roots go really deep. He feeds on and is nourished by God's word. That's why he always has the right answer. It's not because he's super smart. It's not because he's um, uh, smug with it. He just knows because he's been dwelling so deeply and richly on God's word. You see, Jesus' approach, his, his rootedness on God's word is, is a model for us. It's a model for us as we approach tricky issues. I am um, on uh, 10 o'clock on a weekday morning, uh, if I can be bothered. I switch on, I switch on talk sport and I listen to uh, White and Jordan. And um, in the little tagline for their show, it it's describes themselves as engineered for conflict. And um, what they seem to do is they deliberately take opposing opinions on one another on whatever the sporting topics of that week are. And they, they just have an argument. And it, it, it's quite fun listening to in a way. But it's not really a good model for debate or discussion or, or thinking through issues deeply. Interregnums uh, can be tricky times. Times when sometimes difficult questions and divisive issues can arise. How should we consider them? What wisdom has Jesus given us here? I think he gives us loads of great practical wisdom. What does he do? He he goes back to first principles. What does the Bible say? Not just that one verse that you think gives all the answers, but what does the whole Bible say? Go back to the beginning. Jesus says, go deep into his word. Like that man in Psalm 1, uh, delight in it, meditate on it. Uh, Let it be your foundation. Let your roots for all of life go deep into that word. Jesus seems here to be uh, more concerned about seeing people changed than winning the argument. He's really happy to slap down the Pharisees. But actually, he's more concerned about the little children. He's more concerned that they might know, that they might know God. Jesus isn't afraid to speak controversially. He's more concerned about what God thinks and his honour than what other people think of us. Uh, This and other issues will be uh, divisive. People won't like us when we follow Jesus' way on some of these things. And yet, he says, it's more, it's more important that we honour God. Stick to his word. And yet, he's, he's, he's right. He sticks with God's word, but he doesn't do it without justice or compassion. He still loves people. He still cares. And I guess each one of us, we should be like those little children, shouldn't we? It's easy to say, well, let's be like Jesus, but actually Mark says, Jesus says, be like the children. <coughs> be humble, be teachable, be willing to follow. 
let's talk more. Let's talk more in our small groups. If there's things particularly that have arisen today that you, you really want to talk with someone, do, you, do speak to someone from the pastoral team about them. But let's go and live this. This radical life of following Jesus. Being humble is radical. Obeying Jesus is radical. Uh, loving his word is radical. So friends, let's go and live it. Amen.